0: Thank you, Pastor Paul. The um, thrill is mine. It is so good to be with you. And um, I just wanted to add on to conference that this year I'm really excited because we're running our, next year, we're running our first kids conference, and so we've moved conference to the holidays, you will have seen on the dates, and um, our kids conference is going to be amazing, I hope. Um, we've got sessions for every main session, there's going to be a kids session, and um, we're getting, so one of our speakers, Mike Pillavachi, he's going to be speaking to the older kids, and Pastor Tart will be speaking, and a couple of other people, so we really believe in God to um, do something in our kids next year. So if you've got a family and you want to come along, then bring your kids to conference and um, I'm just praying that actually our kids conference is going to surpass our main conference, that God's going to turn up and do something awesome. So it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. But um, today, it is so nice to be with you and I was just so blessed to be part of the ladies night last night. It was incredible seeing so many ladies. Um, Over 80 ladies came out and um, Why did we have fun? We had such a good time. Look at my nails. I got my nails done. That's This is like a first for me. I felt really good. And um, just, I don't know, just seeing all those ladies come in and, and come out, so blessed and um, just having a wonderful time. So you guys did so well. What an awesome event to put on. So well done. Well done to you guys. And do you know, this is my first time this far north. I've never actually been much beyond Kerikeri Keri in all my life. I don't know why. I've been missing out on this amazing place. And um, you have a beautiful place that you live in, and I love it already. Straight away, um, my boy Zach, he loves traveling, and he's like, when can we come back, Mum? Are we coming back? I said, yes, we'll come back. But um, he's, they're loving it. They're both loving it. They're in kids' church. So it's really awesome to be with you this morning. And I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about myself really quickly. Um, my parents are Tarkin and Adrian Barna. Many of you guys will have met them and I'm an only child, just me, and um, I married Sam, who's the oldest of five, so we're really different. We're really, really opposites, and I was sharing with the ladies last night that our um, journey has been a little bit up and down, and I spent the first three or so years of our marriage thinking that Sam was the problem, and... um, and then I had this awful revelation that actually it wasn't Sam that was the problem it was me and that I had to get sorted and I had to sort myself out and um, but you know what we made it we're still together and we're still here he's stuck by me and <laughs> he's a good man I'm so blessed to have him with me he is awesome <laughs> Well, when I was younger, probably about seven, there was a family um, that my parents were really good friends with. And you know those families where you go over and have dinner kind of every couple of weeks? It was one of those families. And I remember going there, and it was always amazing food. And I always had to use the bathroom, as you do. And so on the toilet door, there was this poem. And because I went so many times, I got to know it quite well. And I want to share share it with you this morning, actually. It's about being yourself. You might have heard it. It goes like this. You must learn that you cannot be loved by all people. You can be the finest apple in the world, ripe, juicy, sweet, succulent, and offer yourself to all. But you must remember that there will always be people who don't like apples. So you must understand that if you are the world's finest apple and someone you love doesn't like apples, you have the choice of becoming a banana, (laughs) but you must be warned if you choose to become a banana you will be a second-rate banana but you can always be the finest apple you must realize that if you become a second-rate banana there will always be people who don't like bananas furthermore you can spend your life trying to become the best banana which is impossible or you can try again to be the finest apple let's pray Lord, I thank you that you're in this place. I thank you for this awesome group of people here today. And God, I just pray that you would speak a word to us. God, you would shift us from where we are to where you want us to be. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you just come right now and begin to speak, begin to move. I pray you'd use these words and make them something powerful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about being yourself And running your race. And I've got a couple of verses I want to read out to you. We had a few technical difficulties, but I think we got them up there. So the first one is Ephesians 2, verse 10. And it says this For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then there's the amplified version of that. It's way longer, but I really like it, and I'm going to read it out to you. It says, For we are his workmanship. His own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which He set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us. Isn't that a beautiful version of that verse? And then a verse that you will all know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I love those verses. We're all made in God's image, and he has a purpose and a plan for us, and we're all gifted in incredibly different ways, and we all have different talents, but we live in a world where everything is measured. Everyone's comparing, you know, who looks the best, who's the smartest, who's achieving the most, who's the fastest runner, who has the most money, or whatever it might be. And so it can at times be happy to be um, to heart it'd be hard to be happy with how God made us. And I think that the struggle in that area is really real and even the most confident and high achieving people can still battle with this thought of just being happy with who they are and with how God made them. I read this statement of this article, it had this statement you must know yourself, accept yourself, be yourself and develop yourself. And I like that statement. I think it's very true. But I don't know if you're anything like me, um, I've kind of struggled to know who I am and to figure out um, what I think and what I feel and what I should be doing as opposed to what others um, might think of me or what others are telling me I should do. And I've realized that who I am is an ongoing and evolving process as I go through different stages because life changes us. Time changes us. People change us. Circumstances and challenges, they change us. And so I think the key in all of this is to make sure that we're not trying to be someone else, that we're not trying to live up to someone else's expectations, and we're not trying to do something that we're not gifted to do. While we might wish that we could change some things or swap some features or gifts, the reality is that God made us exactly who He wanted us to be. And He's given us everything that we need to do what He's planned for us to do. Here's a great quote. If God has called you, which He has, then He has given you what you need to do the job. You may not have all that others have or all you wish you had, but you have what God wants you to have. There's a lot of haves in that quote, (laughs) but it's a good one. Romans 12, verse 5 to 8 says, For we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, our job is to use the gifts that have been given to us and to be the best me that I can be, to be the best you that you can be. And as we start to live that out, there is incredible freedom and um, security and confidence and fulfillment because we're doing what God has purposed and created for us to do. And can I just say that being yourself is enough. You know, all you have to be is who you are so often we think we need to be something more, but being yourself is enough. That's what God wants us to be. And you know something? We don't have to have a great gift for God to use us in a great way. And um, this morning I'm going to use, look at Saul and David a bit, because these guys show us the importance of that and the importance of being yourself. Although, I will just say that here in Kaitiah, so many of you have these amazing gifts and, you know, um, your talent and singing and music. And I was talking to Radar about his um, wood sculpturing and different things that he does. And just there's so many of you that are so incredibly gifted. But, you know, we don't have to have a special talent or an amazing talent for God to use us. And in 1 Samuel, we see that the gift that David had, the gift that put him on the radar of King Saul and everyone else, and that eventually led him to be king, wasn't his leadership skills. It wasn't his dynamic personality, and it wasn't even his ability to play and sing. It was actually his ability to accurately sling a rock. He was a sharpshooter with a slingshot, right? And do you remember when he was a shepherd boy and he was out looking after those sheep and he killed the lion and he killed the bear with his stone and his sling? And, you know, he probably thought that gift wasn't that important, but out there, I reckon, he spent hours practicing. He probably fine-tuned it so that he was really accurate and he knew that 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 stone was a, a lethal weapon in his hands but I reckon he never imagined that it would be that, ins- that seemingly insignificant gift that would lead him to defeat Goliath and that started him on his journey to the throne. And you know, David learned to be himself. Remember when he went out to face Goliath, um, and King Saul said to him, here, have my armor. And he tried on King Saul's armor, and it was too big, and it was too heavy. He said, no, 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 um, I can't wear this. You know, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to be myself. And so he did. He went out, and all he took was a slingshot, those five smooth stones. And with that, with a sling, a stone, and the power of God, he defeated Goliath against all odds you know, the story is not limited to King David and other Bible characters. God has given each one of us unique gifts, something that along with God's power and anointing can propel us into the destiny that He has for each one of us. And, you know, I just want to say, don't underestimate what God has entrusted you with. Sometimes we think that our gifts, you know, are oh, everyone can do that. Uh, you know, I'm just one of many. But, you know, There's certain things that only you can do. And there's certain people that only you can reach. No one else can reach them. And I think if we saw the plan and the purpose that God had for our lives, it would just give us a whole new perspective. And we would be amazed and we'd go out and be more passionate about what we do, knowing that there are things that God has for specifically us to do. And it's an amazing thought. Um, I loved Lincoln's offering because it's in my message, actually. And um, that story, I'm looking at the version in John um, about the little boy, with um, five loaves and two fish. You know, he only had this little lunch, that little boy. It was pretty small, but he offered it to Jesus. And Jesus took those five loaves, he took that two fish, he multiplied it, and he fed that whole crowd. And that lunch was a lunch like no other. But, you know, it wasn't just a story about little boy. Because what I reckon is there was a mum that probably got up early one morning and uh, like many of us mums do, but instead of pulling out the loaf of bread, she probably had to bake those loaves of bread. She would have got up and and mixed that uh, mixture together and, and cooked those loaves. She probably, I don't know whether she would have caught the fish or her husband or someone else would have done that for her, but she probably had to cook that fish and wrap it all up and pack it for her little boy. I imagine that she would have made sure he was looking good and, you know, did a bit of spit and polish and <laughs> squashed his hair down or whatever and sent him off and never dreamed that that lunch was going to change history, that it was a lunch that the whole world was going to remember and talk about for hundreds and thousands of years to come. And, um, you know, being a parent is an amazing gift and it can lead to history being changed. And I love that. I love that. That Just thinking about that story. So let's not underestimate what God has placed in our lives. You may not think that you have very much, but you know what God says? You have more than enough to make a difference in the lives around you, to make a difference in this town and in your community. I have a friend, and her name's Veronica, and um, she has lots of talents. She's very creative. She's really good at art, and um, she's quite gifted. But you know... The thing I see her using the most that's changing lives is that she's a really friendly person. She um, is very... uh, She'll always say hi to people... She has heaps of time for others. She never is in a rush. She'll stop and she'll chat. She'll listen to others, and she does what she can to help others or to help out. And through just being friendly, which is definitely a gift of hers, she's seen people come to church. She's reaching people for Jesus. She's making a difference in her world. And you know, I think about so many people that are making a difference, and it's not because they have this amazing gift or something super special about them. They're just using what they have, but allowing God to, to work through them, and they're changing lives. They're making a difference, they're making an impact. You know, a word that God has laid on my heart lately is that word arise. And I don't know, it's just something I keep reading about and some of the stories that where God says arise. I just, I'm, I'm thinking about it and meditating on it. And so I was looking at how many times it's mentioned in the Bible, and it's mentioned about 250 times. And often, you know, in the Bible, uh, God will say, You know, arise, get up and go somewhere, or arise and walk, arise and be healed. Sometimes it says, arise and eat. I like those verses. I'm like, yes, I'll take that. I'll go and eat. And other times it's about, you know, it's a prayer. It's a cry to God. Lord, arise. Lord, defeat my enemies, whatever. Um, But there's one verse that I'm sure you're all familiar with that um, says, arise. And it's in Isaiah 60, verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over all the peoples. But your Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And you know, isn't that exactly where we are? There's darkness all over our land, there's darkness over the earth. God is saying it's time to arise, that His glory is coming on us. It's time for us to get up and stand and let our light shine for God. And others are going to be drawn into that light. Others are going to follow. Nations will follow. Kings will follow. We can arise and be confident in who we are. In life, we're all in a race. But your race is made up of one person, and that person is you. The problem is most of us end up competing against a bunch of different people. You know, we might be competing against our siblings or our neighbours or our co-workers, our friends, even our spouse at times. But our race is not actually a competition. Although the world is highly competitive and it does look at, you know, looks and money and power and all those things... But worldly values have nothing to do with God's values. We don't need to worry about those competitions. We're not even racing against anyone, but everyone has a specific God-given race to run, a race of one, and that race is you. And Hebrews 12 verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, but you know, as as in most things in life, um, that's easier said than done. And I don't know about you, but I've run a few races in my time. Um, I love people who are funny, and I love speakers that are funny, and so I've tried to be that kind of speaker. I've tried to run that kind of race. Unfortunately, I'm the kind of person that it's really funny in my head. But then when I try and, you know, convey that, it's just not that funny. I'm the worst joke teller because I always kind of forget the details and usually miss the punchline. And um, I would love to be that kind of speaker. I really do want to work on it. And I do try. But you know what? It's not my race. And if I try and be that kind of speaker, I'm not going to be who God wants me to be. Another race that I have tried running, and I think I'm coming last place in, just ask my husband, is the race of cooking. I wish that I could cook. We went away with our friends a while ago, and uh, my friend Steph, she's a really good cook. She's one of those people that she just takes something real basic and adds a little bit of this and a little bit of that, puts it in the oven, and then... It's just the most amazing dish. And so after a couple of nights of that, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I went home and I got out my recipe books and I started looking through all these recipes. I spent about an hour flicking through and then... After an hour, I was so fed up. I didn't even know where to start. I, I put those recipe books back in the drawer. I slammed that drawer shut. I got out a packet. I got out some meat. I put my rice cooker on, and we had chicken for dinner with a packet mix and rice. And you know what? It is not my race. If I try and start cooking like some chef, I'm not going to get there, and it's going to take up all my time. And another thing I've tried to do over the years is um, a few sports That is definitely not my race. And I'm praying to God that our kids have Sam's athletic ability and not mine. (laughs) But, you know, these things are just, they're light things. Um, They're silly things, really. But there are so many things that um, have distracted me, that have caused me to lose focus of what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's so easy to happen. And if I can get in my head that I don't have to out-cook, out-throw, out-kick, out-funny anybody, I just have to run my race, I have to focus on what God has called me to do. And that's what you have to do as well. You know, King Saul had this problem. He got distracted and he started losing focus of his race In 1 Samuel 16, verse 21 to 23, we read, So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armour bearer. And then Saul said to Jesse, and then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favour in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God that was distressing Saul was upon Saul, that David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Do you notice in this passage it said, And Saul loved David greatly. This was a great relationship. These guys were good friends. Saul thought very highly of David, and um, all was going well until David started excelling in battle. You know, he, he killed Goliath, he was made leader over all the men of war, and everyone loved him. And I think. You know, at this point, Saul still loved him, but it started going very downhill. A little bit further on in chapter 18, verse 6, it says this. Now it happened that as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the woman had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. And so the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David His ten thousands. And then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And the Living Translation says, From that time on, Saul kept a jealous watch on David. You know, all was going well with these two, but once David started excelling and overtaking Saul, things turned pretty bad. And I mean, in fairness to Saul, I honestly think if I was king and, you know, these ladies came out to sing to me and then they started singing higher praises about someone else, I think I would be pretty angry too. And I would probably be pretty upset and I would feel pretty jealous. So I think that that was Fair enough. But the problem was Saul went from being angry and upset and jealous to obsessed and crazy and intent on killing David. And at that point, he lost focus on his race. And he really spent most of the rest of his life trying to kill David what a waste, what a waste of a life. You know, he was supposed to be running the kingdom, leading the nation. Instead, he's worried about this guy just because he was better than him and tried to kill him. And really, he, he lost, you know, he really lost focus on, on what he was supposed to do and didn't end all that well. But you know, it's a common thing to lose sight of our race and to start focusing on someone else. It's easy to do. And I want to look for a minute at this comparing business, because I feel like comparing is one of those annoying things that so many of us fall into the trap of doing, but you know what, it leads only to three outcomes, and they're all bad. The first one is we think that we're better than someone, and so it leads to pride, or we think we're worse than someone, and we can feel jealous, inferior, discouraged, or we think, oh no, we're as good as them, and then that leads to complacency. And, you know, comparing is a waste of time, energy, and emotion, and it doesn't work because we're not supposed to be someone else. We're not supposed to be like the person beside us or behind us or around us. There's a great quote that says, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. And I think that's really wise because sometimes we look at someone else and we think, man, look at all they've done. Look at where they are at in life. Look at what they've got. But they, they might be at chapter 20. We're just starting out at, 20, at chapter 1, you know. I honestly think it is a masterstroke of the enemy to get us to start looking at others, to start looking at those around us, comparing and, you know, thinking neither we're better than or we're worse than. And, and it just takes our focus off ourselves. And it's a really... Um, just negative thing to get into. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes when we do look at others and we think they've got it all together, but they don't. Everyone's got their issues. Everyone's got their problems. I love this little, um, little paragraph about characters in the Bible. Listen to this. It says, Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, Jacob was a liar and a deceiver, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, falsely accused, you name it, Moses had a speech problem, Gideon was fearful, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran away from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied he knew Jesus, the disciples fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying, Martha worried about everything, the Samaritan woman was was divorced, Zacchaeus was too short, Paul was too religious, and Lazarus was dead. So what's our problem? (laughs) You know, I love that. I love that. Um, But it is... uh, something that I have struggled with over the years and I still battle with today. You know, I, it's so easy to compare, but I do want to encourage all of us let's not fall into that trap. Let's really ask God to free us from that because it will help us to be who we're supposed to be and to achieve what we need to achieve in life. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the theft of joy so true, isn't it? There's another quote that says, if you continually compete with others, then you'll become bitter. But if you continually compete with yourself, you'll become better. We're in a race of one. When we give our best to the world, we won't be intimid- um, in What is it? In- <laughs> imitating. That's the word. We won't be imitating anyone else. We'll be running our race without competition. There's one other quote I want to share with you. It says, count your blessings and not the blessings of someone else. That's a good one, eh? You know, my boy Zach is into cars like most boys are. And uh, so he, he likes sport cars. He's looking out for them on the roads. And he sometimes goes to his granddad's house. And they watch like the Indy 500 or other racing events. And um, he chats on about it. So I've learned a little bit about these sports cars. You know, sports cars, they're single purpose. They're high performance. They're um, you know, high performance vehicles, they're gas guzzlers, they can reach high speeds and cut corners at 60 miles per hour. They're made to win races. On the other hand, normal cars like most of ours are multi-purpose. You can't accelerate to 100 kilometres per hour, although that would be really good if we could do that in three seconds like those sports cars. But um, you know, normal cars—they're way more economical to run than sports cars. They take passengers, and when you go on holiday, it's amazing how much stuff we can fit in the boot. They are awesome. Sports cars are made for winning, for entertainment and fun, while normal cars are made to be practical and functional. Which car is better? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Depends what track you're on. If you're on an actual racetrack, then the sports car is better. But if you're just on the normal road, probably a normal car is better for the purposes that we need it for. And you know what? It's the same with us. We are all on different tracks, we all have different races to run, run. and and no vehicle is better than each other, because they're built for different purposes. You know, each one of us is created by God for a specific purpose, and God isn't going to judge us according to someone else's abilities or to someone else's achievements, He's going to judge us on the assignment that He gave us to do and how well we achieved the purpose He designed us for. God's not going to ask us if we outperformed our neighbour or did better than our colleagues or were more successful than our parents. He's going to ask us if we ran our race. And we want to be able to answer with a confident yes. As with everything else in our Christian life, faith is a huge key. You know, we have to have faith that God has made us who we are and that that's okay and that that's enough. We have to have faith that God has a great purpose and plan for our life and and He um, has good things in store and He's going to lead us all the way as we trust and obey Him. Saul was called to be a slayer of thousands. David was called to be a slayer of 10,000s. It doesn't matter which is better. What matters is that we do what God has for us to do. And you know what? I mean, it can be hard for others to um, surpass us or maybe do better than us or outperform us if that's what we think. But you know, that's okay. All we have to do is be ourselves, run our own race, help others, cheer them on, but keep our eyes on God because His opinion is the only one that matters in the end. And the only race we need to run is our own If I could just have the musicians or Emma to come up, that'd be great. We're in a race of one. And I think if there's something that I want you guys to take home, it's that, that our race is made up of one. You, me. We're not competing against others. And I think if we can, you know, really get that concept and start living it out, it does free us from feelings of inadequacy, feelings of insecurity, comparing maybe feeling like we don't amount to much. But we've got to remember we are God's masterpiece. We are His absolute work of art. And mm-hmm. He is so proud of His design in each one of us. And I think sometimes He must look at us when we are not happy with ourselves or when we're comparing or wishing we had what other people have. It, I reckon it breaks His heart because He's made us exactly how He wants us to be, exactly who we're supposed to be. And that's what He want, wants us to to be happy with. We have a purpose and a plan to live out. We have a race to run, a race of one. It's time to run. It's time to arise. So, you know, it's time to win kaitaya for Jesus. And um, we can do it. We can do it. All we've got to do is be ourselves, run our ways, let God do the rest. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?